As the ambient sounds of the city echo through the street, our heroes find themselves in a shadowy parked car, staking out a dingy apartment building on the wrong side of town. One of them awkwardly balances a hand of Wizard the Duelining cards and an overstuffed New York-style hot dog. The other sits behind the wheel, casually sipping coffee from an iconic blue bodega cup. So, if I play a land and tap four for Lightning Spear... Does your opponent have two blue mana open? Yeah. So, Jacob casts Counterspell, and I flip the table. I hate this goddamn game! Yeah, I agree. Needs more cues. Also, can you not make a mess of the car? It's a loner. Why are we staking out a meth lab again? I feel like we're woefully underqualified for this. We're not cops. I mean, I could play a solid Officer Krupke, but that's about it. Yeah, I should only be in a police uniform if I'm sitting at a computer while some idiot detective shouts ENHANCE and points at my screen. Yeah, you'd get fired so quick for yelling at a detective about resolutions and picture quality and how that works. God, I hate CSI. Anyway, we're here because someone got caught smuggling contraband in my trunk and this stakeout is keeping us out of prison. What were you even doing with a wheel of Iranian cheese? Who wants Iranian cheese? Is that even a thing? One, you said we were going to Nottingham. It's not my fault the sheriff was an actual sheriff. Two, I'm sorry I'm not an uncultured swine who only eats cheese developed after the invention of writing. Desert cultures discovered cheese, and the Iranian traditions have the most delicious quality. Hey, Nottingham Heights! I said Nottingham Heights! You are the only person in the world who would think that a road trip to Virginia was a real-life game of Sheriff of Nottingham. Oh yeah? I'm pretty damn sure those weren't my chickens that ran into the street when the sheriff opened the trunk. At... Whatever. Mine wasn't contraband. I tried to bribe the officer. (laughs) She was not having any of that. Well... Looks like nothing is happening here. You want to do a podcast while we're stuck waiting here? Yeah, I finished my hot dog. Might as well. You're picking up those cards, right? Uh, hello there, I'm Danny Lott. And I'm not surprised. Welcome to Shootin' the Chit. Hello everyone, and before we start the podcast proper, we have a special announcement. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, the Indie Game Alliance. The Indie Game Alliance? Tell me more, Danny. Yes. The IGA is a conglomerate of designers, publishers, printers, distributors, and anything else related to the production of board games. It's a special organization designed to help fledgling designers and new or small publishers get their games in the hands of as many players as possible. They also have an awesome volunteer team called Minions who will help demo games at conventions and volunteer Minions get paid in board games many people can't find anywhere else. Wow. One, uh, that's pretty cool. Two, are we selling out already? What is this, like episode four? Yes, it is episode four, and yes, we are selling the fuck out. And we're selling out for a great cause, the Indie Game Alliance. Link in the doobly-doo. You should try it out. And if you don't make games, that's fine. Get free games for playing games. What are you going to do? Not play games? What do you not want free games? Be a minion. Join the Indie Game Alliance. That, uh, that is pretty cool. I need to, I need to think about that while I slowly sip this cool and tasty Coca-Cola. Mm. Coca-Cola. It's great for you. 
Uh. Honestly, though, I actually really like the idea of the Indie Game Alliance. Uh, I got the chance to talk to Matt Holden. I believe he's the uh, the owner, one of the people. He is uh, the creator of the Indie Game Alliance, and he's technically like the CEO slash president. There was a recent shuffle in the organization's management when Victoria Holden, his wife, joined the team officially. Oh, I got the chance to talk to him, and he was a great guy. And honestly, I've got a couple of designs of my own. I should probably hit him up and figure out what to do with him. You should. He's one of the people the world can unfortunately blame for Comb Award coming to shelves sometime in October. That monstrosity. Who the fuck designed that? Some loudmouth asshole. Ah, damn right. All right. Speaking of loudmouth assholes, that's like an abstraction of something from a David Cronenberg movie. Speaking of abstractions, Zach, nice. what's our topic for our podcast tonight? Nice segue, asshole. You're welcome. <laughs> Anytime I can reference Naked Lunch like I've seen the whole movie, I will. So, our topic today is about the abstraction of games. As much as we wish they could, games don't in fact simulate real life. If they could, then we would be able to do all sorts of cool things without any consequences. Unfortunately, that's not the case. So, instead of fighting orcs and wizards and all sorts of things in a fantasy world, we have to move little miniatures around the map. Oftentimes, what really differentiates a good game from a bad game is how well its abstraction of mechanics fits the theme and makes it so that you actually feel like you're playing the game. Danny, I imagine uh, that you have quite a few games that uh, you think really fit this whole abstraction thing. I do. I really, really do. So this is one of my favorite elements of board games because this might come as a surprise. I love being immersed in an experience. I love diving into a world. I could have never guessed. I know. There's not a lot of games that I've played where while I've been playing it, I forgot it was a board game. Where I was so wrapped up in the way the mechanics communicated the theme and, and represented the ideas that I just forgot it's really cardboard and plastic. But one game where I did that very thing was a little game, sorry, was a gigantic game called Mage Wars. Mage Wars is a lot like many games that exist. Thematically, it's just two wizards using their spells, solving their conflicts the standard way, with peaceful negotiations. And by that I mean abhorrent violence. <laughs> Slinging fireballs at each other, summoning orcs. Destroying yes. your foes. Right, or having a regular conversation. Like, now. Yeah. What makes Mage Wars special and sets it apart from the Wizards of Mount Doom or Magic the Gathering or Wizards the Duelining is... Or, or Cones of Dunshire, any number of 200 other wizard dueling games. Yeah, or Wiz War. Uh, ooh, Wiz War. Anyway, Mage Wars took this throwing cards on the table and turned it into an experience. When you build your spell book... You literally take a book that has pages for sleeved cards and put your spells into them. So instead of having to draw the spell you want to play or looking at your list of allocatable actions, you go into your spell book, go to the page you want, pull it out, and slam it on this board. 
creatures that you play move around the board. They interact with the other player. They interact with the other creatures. They can destroy constructs. You can summon buildings. And it's all like playing out in real time. And every strategy you want is available to you. Every single strategy? Pretty much. Uh, so like Jacob, whom I, I reference all the time, he's, he's my wizard card game friend. He'll play like a necromancer or some sort of druid who's summoning constant hordes of little creatures. And one of my favorite decks is to play this kind of uh, sneaky, mind-meldy assassin. She's called a force master. And I don't have many creatures that I summon, but what I do is I sneak as close to you as I can, drain your mana, which is like the money of the game, and then stab you in the throat. And it's great! I, I know we're talking about theme, and, and I want to talk a little more about that, but is there any random chance in the game whatsoever? Oh! Oh my god, yes! Unmitigatedly okay. so. Okay. Uh, when monsters attack and defend, they roll dice, and it's similar to, like, a um, an X-Wing or an Armada or any other miniatures game that has custom dice. They're just D6s. Some hits are regular hits. Some of them are criticals. Creatures have monsters that'll let them roll extra dice and block all that good stuff. Okay, I, I was worried for one second that you might actually want to play a game that doesn't have random chance in it. Uh, you know, just... <laughs> I was worried you had been replaced by a pod person or something. Well, uh, when you play the Force Master, you don't have to roll as many dice. Oh, okay, good. This sounds like a game right up my alley. It's as close to a Euro game as I'll enjoy. <laughs> um, I will say one, though. The, the idea of the actual spell book sounds really fucking cool. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, man, actually flipping through and seeing all of your spells. Do you actually pull out the card? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like each page is uh, like four card sleeves. Mm-hmm. And then you just tuck them in there. And of course, of course, it's Arcane Wonders. That's the company. It's their flagship game. So, like, you can buy custom spell books. So you can get one that's got, like, the Necronomicon if you're a necromancer. Or one that the writing looks like it's flame smoldering if you're a pyromancer. <laughs> oh it's super fucking red. How much money can you blow on this game? Um, not as much as magic. Because when you purchase oh, the core that's set... that's a fucking low bar. <laughs> okay. When you purchase the core set, which is, like, 50 bucks... It has everything you need to make four wizards worth of stuff, even though it's only a two-player game. Like, you can buy the core set and make four entire different experiences. And then you can, I'm guessing you can buy expansions that give you more cards that you can then fit into the game? Yeah. Sort of? Yeah. No, I actually mean that as a good thing. Um, I'm a big fan of the LCG format. Uh, where you can basically just, like, constantly expand the options of things you can build your deck with. Um, so I really like that. So, yeah. Um, I have not played Mage Wars before. It is something I am willing to try. You will only be mildly disappointed. Hooray! Mild disappointment! What's a game that really demonstrates abstraction for you? It's a game that makes you forget you're, you're really just touching cardboard and wood and plastic and, and pulls you into the experience. So you've run into a bit of a problem with me, which is that I really like Euro games. And Euro games treat theme like LaCroix treats flavor. 
Let me redo that line. Eurogames treat theme like LaCroix treats flavor. Why would you say that? LaCroix's our next sponsor. Is it? Well, I guess I've lost it. <laughs> I Don't hate, worry. I we'll hate... settle for bubbly. Exactly. The poor man's LaCroix. <laughs> oh, God. Why in God's name would anyone think, I know, I want a, a can of water that has carbon dioxide and, like, vaguely looked at a pomegranate five years ago. Literally just threw away a can of apple bubbly that I finished before I called you. <laughs> I'm calling you out, Danny. LaCroix is awful, and you're awful for liking it. Um, so, so, so Eurogames, they like the mechanics, and they like making interesting decisions, and a lot of Eurogame designers will start with a cool mechanic and then vaguely throw a theme at it. There's a couple of Euro games that actually break this, and I think the way they often do is that they make the core tension of the theme a core part of the game. One of my favorite games, which I will continuously blabber on about, is Spirit Island. And we can argue about whether Spirit Island is a Euro or not. Spoiler, it is. It does theme so well in its pacing. At the start of Spirit Island, you are a spirit on an island. For those who have not played it yet, there's a future recommendation coming down the line. You are a spirit on an island, and you live in peace with the local Dahan. You've kind of gone to sleep and, and gotten complacent. When suddenly these strange new people with pale skin and guns and boats and buildings start showing up and just wrecking shit all over the place. And the game starts with you barely able to do anything. And the invaders, these white people, let's just call them white people, are coming in and they're expanding faster than you can deal with them. And it feels hopeless. And Spirit Island makes it feel hopeless. And then there's a turning point where you manage to just barely beat them back. And then it kind of rises into this crescendo where you're nuking entire cities off the map. And it's amazing. Um, it's this really tight thing. And the story arc and the power arc just perfectly fits what the designer wanted it to be. Um, I'll also add that all of the little cards on Spirit Island, you get various cards with powers on them. And they've got a, they're kind of magic style where they've got a name, a picture, and something they do. And the picture just does a lot to really fit in with what you're doing. One of my favorite is there is a card that can only be cast on the coast and it deals a recalculous amount of damage and terrifies them, which a lot of cards do that, but it's called Tsunami. And so it does that and it does AOE damage along the coast. And it would, if you didn't know what the name of the card was, it would feel like any other damage spell. But the fact that it has Tsunami and the fact that it can only be on the coast means that you genuinely feel, you get to plop down your energy and throw the card down. It's like, Wah-ha-ha! you <laughs> thought you had three cities? You don't! That's fucking gorgeous have you played spirit island yet no it's on my list i'm gonna you play it in to. july you know uh, at some point we're going to just keep a list of everything that neither of us have played and we're gonna go to a game convention and just force each other to play all the games we love <laughs> and the other person fucking hates and by the end of it if we are still <laughs> friends we'll call it miracle day yeah the ikea test of board games <laughs> sometimes euro games don't always feel fun and i'm not saying like they aren't an enjoyable experience like i love gaia project 
But Gaia Project isn't an experience that I sit down and I'm like, ooh, I'm a fly in a spaceship. Yay. I just sit down and I'm like, okay, brain, let the math begin. <laughs> and it's nice when a Euro game makes you forget that you're doing cardboard math. But Danny, there, there's this one great moment where I turned three red cubes into four blue cubes. And then I played a card and turned two of those blue cubes into ten points. And it was incredible. And if you had converted three Republican voters into two Democrat voters and then your delegate got progressed down the poll line. Oh. That, I mean, like, that theme is boring, but that's like a game. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, Euros has some issues. I'll throw in one quick Euro and I will say that my unpopular opinion of the day is I think Agricola is a really cool thematic game. What? In that, especially when you are just learning the game, it, the game makes you feel like a farmer desperately scrabbling to get by. When you've just started playing the game and you realize that you are spending all of your time and energy just trying to feed you and your family and having one more kid is going to throw your careful plan out of whack, it feels miserable in a good way. I <laughs> <laughs> it's the best version of American Gothic you can imagine. Yes. Yes. I think it's really thematic. I don't think that's why it's good, but I think that's why Agricola is thematic. I am always a fan of any game that has put two meeples here and a third meeple pops up. I love that in Stone Age. I love that with the animal husbandry in Agricola. Obviously, the people husbandry in Agricola does it too. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the childish glee of like, hee 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 hee. The mating hut, or if it's the adorable, like, oh, they made a baby. But something about it, like, tickles my heartstrings. It's just because you're childish, Danny. I am a child. <laughs> uh, all right, so there, there's my Euro game suggestion. What about you, Danny? Uh, okay, so there's something that people try to do all the time in gaming. And when I say all the time, like, there were a couple heavy hitters that tried. But it doesn't always succeed. Even Magic the Gathering tried to get in on it. And I'm talking about asymmetrical gameplay. I'm not talking about asymmetrical in that everybody's got a different ambition or everybody's got a different player power. I'm talking about asymmetrical in that one player is fighting everyone. And not every game nailed it. Spectre Ops did a damn good job. Spectre Ops is basically hide-and-seek in a weird sci-fi future that somehow ties into Dead of Winter. I don't fucking know how, but it does. The Raxon Corp. That was a branding error. Regardless, <laughs> the first game that everybody talked about that did it, did it right. That game's called Fury of Dracula. Oh, old school. Yeah, I've got the third edition, so I'm really just a poser. But it fucking nails it. Every time I've played Fury of Dracula, I have had the honor of being the Lord of Darkness himself. And everyone I've played against is trying to hunt me down across turn-of-the-century Europe. And they're an old man, a girl that I've bitten three times, some other lady, and some other dude. I don't fucking care. I'm Dracula. <laughs> and... It feels awesome, like, tricking them into finding me so that I can be like, just kidding, I'm not there, have a wolf, bitch, feels awesome. Leaving a trail of turned victims in my wake feels great. The tension of running across the European countryside and realizing, fuck, 
I have to get on a boat because Dracula and running water do not mix. Or realizing, oh shit, they are within two cities of me. No matter where I go, I'm going to run into them. Who do I want to fuck with? There's just something powerful about that game from the perspective of being Dracula, where I completely felt like everyone was against me. And not in, like, one of the, like, schoolyard, everybody's out to get me, it's not fair, I've got a laser shield way. But in a, like, oh, fuck, it's the fugitive, Tommy Lee Jones just cordoned off the city, I gotta jump, a one-armed man, oh, God. Like, one of those moments. And as we're playing, I see Jacob and Carrie and Scott and other people, and, and I haven't talked about Scott, but he's great, you'll love him. <laughs> we might do a movie podcast with him. Put a pin in that. Regardless, they're all fucking sitting across the table, chatting each other about how they're gonna get me, and God damn it, it felt great, and they had a good time, and I had a good time, and the game is awesome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. There, there's a not many stealth games, and yeah, you're right. Fury of Dracula did it really, really well. Have you had an opportunity to play it? I have not. There's. I'm trying to think of the stealth games that I have played. I mean, so there's Mister. There's Mister Jack, which mm-hmm. is the two-player stealth game. Which sort of, kind of, I I could call it a stealth game. Yeah. There was a pandemic expansion that did bioterrorist stealth expansion, and that. Yeah. That's gonna say that sounds like it's a flop. The fact that you don't recognize the name of the expansion kind of says that it was a bit of a flop. It, it felt like the designer attempting to make one of those games and fit it into Pandemic. The big problem with that one is that the bioterrorist, if he gets caught, there's really not much of a penalty to the thing. So there's very little... He, he just has to discard some cards and goes back to a random city. He just kind of has no incentive to keep himself hidden because the players... It costs more to find him than it does to you know just deal with his shit he ends up just kind of like going around the board pooping down purple cubes that just sounds like pandemic with distractions pretty much yeah and like i'm not shitting on pandemic pandemic is amazing but there's a lot of expansions and add-ons and at least one of them has got to be the not great one that's fair one point to bring up when we're talking about stealth and asymmetrical games one time, Carrie and I played Letters at Whitechapel, the, like, definitive hidden movement game. And it did not age well. It focused so much on the historical accuracy of the Jack the Ripper case that setup was kind of stupid. And I know that's blasphemy. I know there's going to be somebody that's like, you don't get it, man. You don't get that you have to, like try and trick people into guessing which white meeple that represents a prostitute they're going to kill. And they have to be on those streets, because that's how the history was. I don't know, man. I'm betting you ten bucks our first angry comment is going to be about the LaCroix stuff rather than the letters from Whitechapel stuff. And that is justified, Zach. That person is justified. (laughs) Um, Would you count Netrunner as a asymmetrical stealth game? Yes, yes and no. And and here's why. 
Netrunner is more of a dueling card game to me than anything else. Okay. I mean, even though it's got like the stealth servers and the corp is trying to hide all of his victory point cards in various spots in his deck and the net and the runner is trying to figure out where he's hiding them and get to them. So yes, like technically, yes. Yes, it is, but my brain only sees two people sitting across from a table with a deck of cards each, and I'm just like, ah, it's the weird cyberpunk magic. That's not it right at all. I know that's not right at all, but that's all my brain can think when I think of Netrunner. Ah, you've been ruined by magic, man. Have I? Have I been ruined by magic? Or have I seen the light? Do you play white? No, because I don't play shit colors. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Hashtag blue all the way. Hashtag I don't get to do anything, but neither do you. The church of it welcomes all. And then we roll the <laughs> die and kill ourselves. <laughs> Let the chaos reign. All right. Zach, what's another game that has thoroughly abstracted its theme and made you forget cardboard was before you? Well, uh, I looked through all of my Euro games, and I already talked about the two I thought were even remotely thematic. So... <laughs> Let's move on to actually another stealth asymmetric game with Tragedy Loop. Hold on. I got to change the title of the episode. (laughs) Have you played Tragedy Loop? Who am I kidding? It's got anime people on the front and is about like people finding friendship and saving people. Of course you've played Tragedy Looper. Yeah, it's also takes more than three minutes to explain the theme of. Of course (laughs) I have. (laughs) So... For people that aren't Danny, Tragedy Looper is a game. It's a time travel asymmetric game. You've got a group of people who are time cops. It's never well explained. They're coming in and they're trying to save some poor soul who has died or some tragedy that has happened. And one person is playing, I don't know, like fate or death from that. uh... They're the mastermind. They're, They're the a dark force manipulating the timeline. Why can't I think of it? It's that it's that movie where people cheat death, and so like everything's coming to fucking kill them. Final destination. Final, yeah. So basically, the other person is playing fate or death from Final Destination, where they have it out for one person in particular, and goddammit, they are going to kill them horribly. Yep. And so... All of the players are sitting there, and they don't know what the conditions that fate has to do to actually kill this person. And so the first time they go in, they're going to dink around a little bit, and then fate is going to go, Oh, by the way, this guy died. And everyone gets sit there going, The fuck happened? How did this happen? And they go, and they're like, Wait a second. This guy snapped and killed him. And then Fate says, all right, reset to the start of the game. And then they go and they say, all right, well, we're going to stop that guy from snapping. He didn't snap. All right, we win, right? And Fate goes, no, I found another way to kill him. God damn it! And so you go back in time. And every anime where episode one, you meet some mysterious new character and they're acting in odd ways and you just go, hang on a sec. Time travel plot. I I know this one. Time travel plot. (laughs) Tragedy Looper is that, because by try, you know, four or five, I can't remember if there's three to five tries in a standard I think it's only three resets. Yeah, but by the end of reset three, like, everybody has a generally good idea of what's going to cause things to go tits up, and so they're desperately trying to stop that. And they're doing all these odd things like, hello, random loner, I'm going to take you and move you here for no reason at all. 
You're going to go to the temple and you're going to find some positive love attributes. Just doing random stuff. So from the point of view of all the characters that everyone's manipulating, it must look weird as hell. I, I love that you're like, I like the abstraction of this game. And you're describing it as move card A to location B. Not like, I'm going to hang out with the loner kid so that he feels loved. <laughs> I'm a Euro gamer. What do you want from me? That's that's fair. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. It, like You end up having to carefully push people's lives back and forth by telling the loner to go to the shrine and find some care and love. Or in one case, actually just like taking the serial killer and feeding him victims so that it kills off all the other people that could potentially cause the tragedy. You're like the world's most fucked up Yenta. <laughs> yes. I usually play Fate in, in those circumstances. And from Fate's point of view, there's kind of two ways you can play it. You can play it like a total dick where you're doing everything you can to win. Um, I tend to play it a little bit like a GM, where mm -hmm. I will leave enough clues and not intend to win. But that's just me. When I when I play GM-style characters, I like doing that. You must hate Descent. I hate Descent. Me too. But yeah, Tragedy Looper is a great example of that kind of abstraction. And the thing is, like, getting Tragedy Looper to the table and teaching the game is so fucking hard wrapping your head around the concept of tragedy looper if you have no context is so difficult but once you know what's going on and you're actually in the game it's so great watching the players piece the puzzle together and kind of like smiling to yourself not behind a screen because there's not really a screen in that game but like smiling to yourself behind your steepled fingers yeah there is just kind of this air of maniacal mastermind versus like struggling do-gooders that overcomes the the mere components of the game mm -hmm. and from the player's point of view you are dealing with chaotic things that are beyond your control right you you try and control one thing and something else goes out of control um really makes you feel like you are attempting to change the timeline and introducing unintended consequences along the way Yes, it's super fucking rad. That's my holy crap, this is really thematic game. Tragedy Looper. You should play it. There's one more game I want to talk about that has really just drawn me into the theme of it. It's done such a great job abstracting what the game is about into its play to where I actually feel as though I'm, I'm, I'm in the moment. It's not a big game. It's not a complicated game. It's not even a hard game to explain. It's called Laser Riders. It's a dope-ass 80s aesthetic game that's Tron Light Cycles. That's it. You get a character box that is a VHS cassette that's got all your little light cycle streams in it. It's got your character. They've got a bitchin' player power. And you take your gorgeous little Lisa Frank neon-colored shit, slap it on the table... Zip zap around, collect some gems, crash into your friends, start over and have a blast. It's <laughs> fun as shit. Complete with crappy 80 synth? Uh, I mean, yeah, while I play it every time I'm like... And everybody's like, Danny, just fucking push your guy. <laughs> the old Tron stuff was a blast. I just, I, I think I gotta play this. 
It's so much fun. And of course, it's made by Greater Than Games, who made Essentialism Multiverse and Spirit Island. And so I kickstarted it, and one of the crossover characters is like a badass 80s version of Visionary from Sentinels of the Multiverse. There's a rad ass, uh, I keep saying ass, I'm sorry. There's this dope... I don't uh, fucking care. Eh, fair deal. So there's this dope uh, cosmonaut, he's like this skeleton in a spacesuit, and his player color's purple. That's everything I want in my life. Spa- purple spacesuit? Yeah, I want a purple spacesuit with a spooky Skeleman inside. <laughs> and my wife gets to play this frickin' rad-ass red robot shark whose player power is go really fast. You you said this was thematic? Yeah! <laughs> One, it is 80s as hell, but all I can think about is that for the character list, they looked at their five-year-old son and said, Who should be in the game? Ah, uh, a robot... Shark, yes, and a a purple skeleton man. And they're like, "All right, robot shark, purple skeleton man, done." What else? What else? I want the Silver Surfer, but I want him to be Zach Morris. Great, (laughs) you got it, kid. Zach Morris, Silver Surfer, done. Yes, get this to the art department. Oh, what else you want? I want a lady that's a sheriff with a robot horse. Cool. (laughs) What color do you want her to be? Yellow. You got it. <laughs> have you, uh, this is randomly off topic, have you ever uh, read Axe Cop? Uh, I have seen one episode of the Axe Cop cartoon, and I was like, you know what, I think I'm done. This yeah. is too You're, weird. You are correct, and the reason it's weird is because the artist literally just asked his five-year-old brother what they should draw next. And so in the entirety of Axe Cop is just the random ramblings of a five-year-old kid. But hyper-violent. Like I said, the ramblings of a five-year-old kid. Fair deal. <laughs> but yeah, so, Laser Riders. Um, so, tell me something else. Why is the theme so cool? Like, what, what's the one big moment where you, where you forgot that you were putting little cardboard tracks down? So, there's always this moment. Because the whole goal of the game is to convert three of these cosmic prisms to your color. Once you've done that, you win. And when somebody converts a prism to their color, another player can take it. So, even though your beam is crossing through that prism, prisms are the only place where you can cross another, another player's beam or your own beam without crashing. Okay. So, there's always this moment where three players have two gems and they're about to convene on the last gem and one player can like maybe steal another player's gem like the person who's lagging behind might be able to do a straight shot so there every time i've played the game there is this moment right towards the end where it's literally anybody's game and it's just so great also every time you take a curve you have to roll the die uh, the length of your piece is determined by your your speed, and you can readjust that at the beginning of the round. The faster you're going, further you go. When you turn at a certain speed, you have to roll a die, and you have to meet that speed or exceed it. So if you're going speed four, and all you need is that four curve to nab that last prism, it comes down to that die roll. And literally everybody's standing up, and they're looking down, and they're like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and you roll. And you either spin out and are forced to go straight and probably crash into somebody else's speed bar. 
Or you luck the fuck out and barely scrape victory by. Jesus. You're, you're bringing back fond memories of me playing uh, old school Car Wars with my dad. <laughs> and, and Car Wars is a great way to simulate five seconds of violence in two hours of looking up tables. Uh, but... <laughs> I have a hilarious story about... Okay. So right, I used right. to... One, one quick story about, about Car Wars. I promise. Okay. Go. Go. Okay. So I worked with a guy. His name was Johnny Scatello. He did a lot of art for uh, Jihad or Vampire, the, the second trading card game that Richard Garfield did. Yep. He was playing Car Wars with fucking Steven Jackson. Oh, wow. First turn of the game, crashed his car into Steven Jackson, so they both died. Looked him dead in the face and was like, might have lost. Took you with me and walked <laughs> away. <laughs> oh, that's cold, man. But uh, so the, the one that that reminded me of was the very first time I played Car Wars. I was 12 oh, and did not understand basic physics. So I started off my car going 60 miles an hour down a uh, two lane road. And then decided to try taking a 90-degree corner. We, I very quickly learned about the rolling rules. Oh, God. Half an hour of looking up tables and I think like half a second of, uh, of in-game, in-game rolling. Uh, I was thoroughly dead and the game was over. Oh, God. That game is brutal if you critically miss. And that's why I recommend Formula Day if you're going to race. We're talking about too many games. Uh, We're Zach, talking about too many games. All right. Give me your last abstraction. My last abstraction is a really amazing cooperative game, and I'm going to specifically talk about the abstraction and how the game makes you feel from the ghost's point of view. I am talking about Mysterium, uh, that one cooperative game, which is if Dixit were spooky. <laughs> I got tons of these. Continue. Continue. So... As the ghost, your job is to hand out these strangely abstract vision cards to the other people and get them to guess which person, place, and thing happened to kill you. The problem with that is that people think differently than you do. And so you will look and you will say, ah, this person needs to guess the driver. The driver killed me, so I'm going to hand them a, a card that has a lot of wheels in it. And they will say, wheels. What is the class that has wheels? It's the driver card. I'm going to pick the driver. And they look and they're like, huh, this card's red and this lady has a red rose in their hair. And so I'm going to pick the rose. And so as a ghost, you're not allowed to talk to them. The only way you're allowed to communicate with them is by handing them these cards. Uh, when I play Mysterium, I actually mandate that as the ghost, the only way you're allowed to answer is when they say, is this the right person or not, is to do the classic seance one knock or two. Nice. And so you're not allowed to talk. And as the ghost, watching them deliberate over whether it's the red rose in the lady's hair... Or the fact that there's, like, a muffin somewhere in the corner of the card, and that means it must be the baker. When you clearly are seeing the giant, like, wheels all over the place. And you're sitting there internally screaming, FUCK! Just pick- it's got wheels! How could you fucks not understand? That is incredibly thematic. That must be what it feels like to be a ghost looking at the other side and unable to communicate effectively with anyone. <laughs> It's, you don't even have to watch somebody eat a whole pie. You just get to be frustrated. 
Hashtag yeah. ghost story callouts. Uh, <laughs> so fucking what I love about that game is the shield is not there to hide the information from the players. It's there to hide your utter exasperation as the ghost. <laughs> yes. Like it's just a space for you to bury your head in your hands and like muffle the scream of you fucking morons. <laughs> It's literally a kitchen. Pick the kitchen. I wonder if it's the study. It's the kitchen. <laughs> well, this checkerboard with the chess pieces has squares on it. So it must be the bathroom because it's got checkerboard tile. There's a game room. There's a literal game room. It's got a chessboard in the center. <laughs> you dumb fucks. Oh, God, I love Mysterium. <laughs> That it's Mysterium and Hanabi are the two games where you can sit there and internally scream at people. But yeah, Mysterium. As a player, you actually do feel suitably mystified. You know, you're getting these visions and you're looking at the ghost like, the fuck are you thinking? I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and the ghost just stares at you with those wide eyes. It's so true. <laughs> it's so depressingly true but that's what makes the game fun it wouldn't be fun if everyone got it right on the first try and you just blazed your way through all of the guesses i'm noticing that all of my game suggestions were all about feeling frustrated i think i might be a game masochist well you know like we talked about in our motivations episode maybe they're therapy it's all about the challenge it's all about the frustration that's right maybe you don't feel challenged in your real life Zach. I know. I'm just too good at everything. I need I need something to mentally challenge me. Oh, man. The masses below just don't get my incredible genius. It's so hard being a Rick and Morty fan. <laughs> oh, we're going there. So, we keep recommending all of these games because of their incredible theme. But you know what? We should probably actually move into game recommendations. Danny, do you have a game recommendation for us? I do. I do, I do. And it's a little different. Not stork bingo different, but different. Okay, so I recently discovered a game, but it's not on any format that I can put on my shelf. It's a game you can only play on your computer. Okay, well, tell me about these mysterious uh, computer or videographic games. Certainly. So the game's called Card Hunter, and it was fucking... One day I won't talk about it. Richard Garfield helped design the game, <laughs> and it was partially designed by one of the guys who made Bioshock, which is a very popular video game, and System Shock, which uh, was Bioshock before it was cool. Uh-huh. But it's themed around a game called Card Hunter, which is a tabletop tactical RPG set in a fantasy realm a la Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And every action is taken with cards. So the aesthetic of the game, and I wish it had been an actual tabletop game because I would play the hell out of it. The aesthetic of the game is your characters, instead of being these gorgeously rendered 3D models or these adorable little pixel plumbers, they're paper miniatures, like cardboard standees on a grid board that looks hand-drawn or that you could get from Arknight, which put a pin in that. <laughs> Everything has to do with these cards, and your cards determine your actions. So you'll always get a card that lets you move a set number of spaces, and then you'll get actions, and you might get defenses and blocks and armors. And it's a 
tactical miniatures game with a deck building element as in a constructed deck element that has strategy and RPG elements to it and it's all on this fancy computer box. I, I'm not sure I trust this newfangled computer box. How do you roll dice in the computer box? Well, Zachary, you don't have to worry about a cocked die or one falling off the table. It does it for you. <gasps> Blasphemy! I, I know. That's actually my least favorite part of it. But the car, the dice is a very limited aspect. Unless you're fighting trogs and they have a lot of armor and they always manage to roll a fucking five! <laughs> Uh, don't pick elf wizard they just die constantly i'm looking this up now and i gotta say my favorite part about this is that the theme and story of the game is not some great fantastical adventure nope it seems like the theme and the story is that you're literally sitting down with like gary the dm it's basically the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons in Stranger Things. Oh my god. And Gary has an older brother who's an experienced DM named Melvin who will interject and be like, You need to be harder on your players. <laughs> it looks like they had a lot of fun with this one. They really did. It's gorgeous. And here's the crazy thing. It's free. Hmm. I mean, it's got to be worth a try, right? Yeah, I mean, what's oh, what are you going to lose? Like... A half gig of memory, not even, like a quarter gig of memory that you can delete and five minutes of your time. It's very well worth a try. I recommend Card Hunters. I wish they would make a physical version. I would play the living hell out of it. I can only imagine. Zach, what's your recommendation this week? So I'm going to be talking a bit about a oldie but a goodie. Um, And specifically, I'm going to be talking about Steam. Uh, the, I would call it the most popular of all the train games. Danny, I don't know how many train games you've played. They don't seem like entirely your biz. I played Russian Railroads. I got 300 points less than everyone else. Oh, Russian Railroads. Poof, poof. Um, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's an all right. It's a train I like Ticket to Ride. You like Ticket to Ride. Oh boy. So, (laughs) train games, when I talk about train games, um, I'll, I'll give an example In a lot of the conventions we have in Colorado, they'll have a different convention room for each category of game. So they'll have a convention room where all the miniature wargamers will go and they they carefully have their, you know, little painted miniatures and playing things. And then they've got the role players room where a whole bunch of people sit around a table and argue with each other. (laughs) And they have the board gaming section, which is where all the people that play board games, Euro games, American games, dexterity games, all of those get played. And then they usually have this small side room that they call the train room. And that is where all of the people that will only play tray games actually congregate. The Puffing Billy room is what they call it. And these people seem to exclusively play games where you build tracks to connect cities and pick up and deliver goods and then buy stocks in various train companies. And there are 500 of these games. They're all over the place. They're all basically the same premise, and I'm going to get lynched for that. Yeah, I bet the train game community is really big on hanging people. I know, right? Um, I bet they just have nothing but fiery passion in their hearts. So, 
Uh, I haven't played many of them, but I have played Steam, and Steam is genuinely a great train game. Uh, keeping with my uh, keeping with my theme of playing games that make people miserable, uh, in Steam, the way it works is that you have to start by getting a loan of a ton of money to actually start your train companies and if you do not play your cards right it is very possible for you to end up in the negatives at the end of the game like you have not made any money and you've just lost everything we call that being president now oh 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 so you take a massive loan and then you have to carefully set up these cubes (laughs) yes cubes um, and these train tracks all over the board, and you're trying to set up these rail lines and buying stocks in these companies, and ultimately you're you're trying to make a profit, and it is an absolute brain burner. It's hard as balls, and every time I've played it, I loved it. I have never won a game. Ever. Gasp. There's a guy I played it with, his name's William, and he's... He makes me look like an idiot because every single game he plays is the ultimate Euro economic game. And he is incredibly good at eking every single advantage out of all of them. So he usually ends up with this massive profit and all of the victory points and all of the recognition. And I end up either in the negatives or just barely having made a profit. That sounds fun. It actually does sound fun. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Like anytime that you get caught up doing just math but you have a good time and you lose and you have a good time it's a game worth playing and so if you're saying you lost and you still loved it i want to check it out yeah and and the other nice thing about steam is that it kind of took the power grid style where there's this basic Steam map that comes with the game. And then what you can do is if you're starting to get tired of the basic map, you can buy a new map where you're building trains in Ireland or Germany or India or any number of real places. And they all have some new rule that completely fucks up every strategy you thought you had for the game. Oh, fun. Yeah, so suddenly you have to uh, you have to figure out, oh, crap, in India I actually have to deal with hills. How do I spend all of that extra money just to get, like, two tiles over? Because it happens to go through a mountain. That sounds a lot like Ticket to Ride, and I bet Steam fans will love that I'm comparing this beloved <laughs> classic to Ticket to Ride, a train game by babies for babies. Just kidding, Alan R. Moon's an old man. He looks like a wizard. <laughs> I actually really like Ticket to Ride. It's it's a damn good game. I do too, uh, but that's that's like basic integer math. Steam is like fucking pre-calc. Yeah, pretty much. You, you have to deal with uh, derivative of money over time. That sort of shit. Uh, that sounds like something an, a person in another tax bracket would understand much better than I. <laughs> but anyways, I really like Steam. It's a tough game to get into, but if you do, it can be a real hoot to play. Right on. Speaking of things to get into. Speaking of trains. Oh man, that was a way better segue. <laughs> oh my god, what am I doing? <laughs> Speaking of trains, Zach, now is the section of the show called Hype Train. This is where we talk about things that are coming up, 
that we have either seen on Kickstarter or that are have been announced or that we are about to get the opportunity to experience that we're super fucking hype about. And Zach, in this section of Hype Train, what are you most excited about? All right, so we were just talking about these newfangled video graphic games. Uh, I wanted to talk about some new digital board games that uh, have just been announced. Uh, so I really like digital versions of board games because there'll be times where I'm on a plane or I just need to relax and hang out and I will pull open my iPad and pull out, you know, some sort of digital board game. I'm sure you've played the crap out of Sentinels of the Multiverse Digital. I have. I can't poop without it now. <laughs> um, I have played so many games of Ascension, I swear I've dreamed up a couple. Oh my god, like, I know. I, I, I can... <laughs> I don't even know why I bought all the expansions. I'm, I, there are 80 cards I never see. <laughs> yes. And you just stick them all together. They do that. And they also do the really nice thing, which is I don't want to have to deal with the fiddliness of a board game sometimes. <clears throat> Stop overarching shooting the chit rule right here. All right. You're never going to say that F word again. Oh. There are some things that I can tolerate. That word is not one of them. I'm sorry. You could say upkeep. You could say maintenance. You're going to use your goddamn adult words. Not Tom Vassell. Love that guy. Respect him and his stupid hats. We're not going to just keep saying fiddly. I'm a grown-up. I'm going to say upkeep or maintenance. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. There's one (laughs) F word we don't allow on this fucking show. (laughs) And it's that one. (laughs) I'm sorry. I won't curse. I won't curse again, you fucking asshole. Thank you. That's all I ask. All right. Continue. I like board games, but oftentimes they take far too much time to set up and tear down and look through rules and figure out, like, we got one fucking rule wrong. Uh, Fantasy Flight, I'm looking at you. Play a three-hour game, and then I find out I got one core rule extremely wrong, and we should have lost. (laughs) It is nice to be able to take a game out and... Play it on the app where it handles all of the rules for you. I really like digital games, and I especially like it when they come out with digital games that are actually good. Just today, Alderac Entertainment Group, or AEG, just announced they are going to be partnering with Nomad Games to produce Mystic Veil, Cat Lady, and Space Base. And out of all three of those, I'm most hyped about Mystic Veil, because I fucking love Mystic Veil. Yes. It's an incredible card-crafting game, but... Yeah, goddamn, there's a lot of cards to it. Transparent cards and sleeves. What is this? Gloom? Everyone compares it to Gloom. I hate it. <laughs> it's got a great card crafting system, and they've only made two others. I I need to play the third one. And you know what? That's time for another recommendation. Mystic Veil is amazing. I haven't played Cat Lady. I've heard it's absolutely amazing. Also, I haven't played Space Base. Have you played Space Base? I haven't, no. But now I can. But now you can! You can just buy the digital version and learn it from there. I'm really looking forward to this. Nomad Games has produced a couple of other uh, digital versions of board games. They've produced Smash Up. They've produced Talisman board games. The app's better than the board game, because at least I don't have to set it up. Yep. (laughs) Talisman, there's a lot of games I play that I'm like, can I just play fucking D&D already? Card Hunter's (laughs) not one of those games. Card Hunter, not one of those games. (laughs) Talisman is... Hey, man, 
Nomad Games didn't invent the actual rules. All we have to care about is whether they made the board game enjoyable to play on an iPad. That's pretty. Enough. And from what I've heard, it, it's pretty and it works. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested in seeing what they do. Um, I think pretty much regardless, I'm going to be buying all three of these. Nice. Uh, when they come out, it's, yeah, it's going to be a great casual experience for me. Right the fuck on, man. Yeah, I'm stoked about this. How about you? Do you, What sort of board game are you going to be uh, hyping ourselves over? Uh, So, you know how, like, it's our podcast and we can, like, talk about whatever we want and, like, do silly sketches and uh-huh. nobody gets mad when I talk about a uh, video game on our recommendations list and I didn't say anything when you brought up digital board games for your hype train? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I'm hype about isn't technically a board game product. It's a tabletop role-playing game product. Oh, Danny. For shame. But you know how we're all friends here and it's okay <laughs> if I do that? Because, uh, like... I'll allow it. Yes. So the thing that I am most hype about is I finally ordered something I've been eyeing and eyeing for so long. I love tabletop role-playing games. I, I I know anyone who's listened to this podcast is surprised as I've already mentioned Dungeons & Dragons nine times in this episode alone. But I love bringing players to the table and building a world of whimsy and wonder. But one of the things that stops a lot of people from getting into the game is they don't have that active imagination. They don't have the theater of the mind. So the best way to draw those lazy bastards in is with miniatures. Here's the problem with minis. And Warhammer 40k fans, you feel me. Uh, They expensive. They expensive as fuck. Damn right. I I fortunately have uh, more minis than I should because I kind of accidentally, and this is entirely unintentionally a uh, thing that happened in college, I kind of kept a friend of mine's collection of Dungeon & Dragons miniatures. I'm really sorry, Seamus, and if you want those, you can have them back now because I got my Arknight flat plastic miniatures! Boo, 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 boo. Um, <laughs> Arknight makes these... <laughs> Finish your damn sentence, Danny. <laughs> Arknight makes these these gorgeous flat plastic miniatures. And what they are is they're transparent and they just go on a little stand. And they're these wonderfully illustrated character pieces. And I got 167 of them for 49 cents each. Sorry, 48 cents each. The only miniature I have ever paid 48 cents for was a dinosaur eraser that went on my pencil cap at the book fair in elementary school. And clearly became the center of an entire uh, D&D session. Oh no, I was a weird kid and I chewed on it a whole bunch. Because you don't (laughs) give a fourth grader an eraser that looks like a dinosaur. Hang on, do it a little math here. 80 bucks. 80 bucks in flat plastic miniatures? Yes, Zach. Also, hey, babe, if you're listening to this episode, I I love you so much. And I'm going to take you out to dinner and I'm going to buy you whatever you want. Okay, I love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> With the 80 bucks you don't have anymore. Shut up, Zach. You're not helping my case. <laughs> No, I've I've been oh I've been a tabletop miniatures player before. 80 bucks is fucking nothing. 
Yeah, and it's oh. 167. Fully distinct. I've got everything from the five chromatic dragons. Uh, for those of you that don't play Dungeons & Dragons, each dragon's a color, and that discerns what element its breath weapon is. Um, I've also got a myriad of humans and, and tieflings and dragonborns that my players can be. And in any game that has minis, I can take my favorite one and be that. So when I play Carcassonne next time, I don't have blue meeples. I have motherfucking dwarves. <laughs> That's actually a good point, especially since I'm guessing that there's a ton of games where you wish there were miniatures. And yes. there weren't. God, why didn't Friedman Fries put minis in Power Grid? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I was actually thinking Caverna. Do a uh, do a whole game of Caverna where everybody has a different dwarf family. Yes. Or dwarves and kobolds and shit. Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Fantasy Flight, I think, recently did a yes, a Battle for Rokugan. Have you have you seen that one? No. Battle for Rokugan is a dudes on a map minis game that doesn't have minis. It's just got all sorts of little cardboard chits and stuff. And you know, here's the thing. I understand why they did it. Because the game has a prodigious amount of pieces. And they managed to get in the game in about $40. Whoa, 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 whoa. Zach, are you what? telling me Fantasy Flight Games, a division of Asmodee Games US, made a large box game that has a fuck ton of components? And the game has no miniatures. It's just tokens. Well, tokens, and a board, and cards, and stand-up minis, and more tokens, and beautifully printed art, and more cards, and more tokens. It's Fantasy Flight. They have to do something. But yeah, no mini. My mind is blown. Now we need to actually, you know, make Battle for Rokugan with minis. Or just get an upgrade kit with Arc Knight plastic miniatures. They're flat and transparent. They're not a sponsor. I don't know why they got my sponsor voice. I'm just really <laughs> excited about the product. I'm very excited about it. Because the problem is, like, when we're playing D&D &D or any tabletop RPG, everybody's always like, why don't you have a tiefling mini? And it's like, I don't know, because Seamus didn't have one when I stole his minis. I mean, <laughs> forgot to return his minis. <laughs> do they do different genres as well? Like, I know fantasy is obviously going to say. Yeah, they've got one that's just, like, regular modern-day people. Like, it's just citizens, which is great because I'm designing a tabletop game that takes place in modern-day New York. Or they have one that's superheroes. They even have, like, a, a placeholder thing in their storefront where like you can request a custom thing mm. tabletop rpgs you know we should probably avoid alienating our base too much but i do want to do an episode of just about rpgs yeah i mean other people who have board game podcasts have a secondary podcast for tabletop rpgs but i don't care you you know yeah i mean that's the whole thing. We're shooting the chit. We can we can wander into whatever topic we want. Exactly. So yeah, those those are pretty darn cool. My games tend to be a little more theater of the mind, but those can be really useful. And that's why I'm hype about it. <laughs> well, Zach, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the episode. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, LaCroix is still awful, and you are awful for liking it. I mean, I was awful before I liked it. I called my boss Sweetie today. He did not like that. <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty much just the worst. 
Uh, I think we've covered quite a bit. There are a lot of games out there that are incredibly thematic and fit their mechanics incredibly well into said theme. People should tell us about them. Did we miss something? Let us know. Yeah, and you can send us that conversation starter at our email at shootin, S-H-O-O-T-I-N, dot the, dot chit, at gmail.com. I'd also like to mention that we now have a Twitter feed at at shootin' the chit. Yay! Also, we're not on SoundCloud anymore. You might be listening to this on Stitcher or Spotify or iTunes or whatever the fuck else you listen to podcasts on, and that's because we're on Anchor now. And you can find our source or our RSS feed directly at anchor.fm slash shootin' dash the dash chit. That's a lot of dashes, Danny. But I'm sure they'll figure it out. They're smart people. Man, are they? They listened all the way through this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Who would listen to us? Hi, Mom. (laughs) Hi, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Zach, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they reach you? They can reach me at at ZHoekstra on Twitter, or they can uh, ping me on at ShootinTheChit on Twitter. I'm just generally on Twitter. Right on. And if you want to reach me, you can find me on Board Game Geek. I'm Danny Lott, but my board game handle is D-L-O-T-T-1988. Send me a message. Don't send me a message. I don't care. Go outside. Have a good day. Don't have a good day. It's your fucking life. Stay inside and play board games. That's much better. Oh, that one too. Also, if you'd like to check out our sponsor's official website, you can find that at www.indiegamealliance.com. Indie Game Alliance. Check it out. I'm going to tell Matt to make that their slogan. <laughs> He's going to be so frustrated when he finally listens to this. I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. It was um, great talking to you, man. And you as well, my friend. Thanks for listening, folks. Stay well.